0: all those decisions now that way when something bad happens you're gonna act them out without making decisions
1: So, can you tell us a little bit about your um, you know recruitment into the the uh, secret squirrel side yeah. using your term which love. and then um, you know how you got really down into the weeds and becoming an expert at you know, the spy craft side of special operations.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, once again, luck and timing, uh, came back from a deployment from Iraq. Um, Rumsfeld, uh, was the one who coined the term fine fix finish. Right. And it was Admiral Callan at the time. You just mentioned him. He was, uh, he mm-hmm. was Warcom, and he knew like, Hey, we need to figure out how to get ahead of this. And so, you know, he's a smart admiral, good dude. They did a screening and selection program, which was, uh, run by, a a couple of Master Chiefs, and I had just gotten back. I was due to rotate out of uh, Team 3 because at that point I would already been there for, geez, like 10 years straight. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, uh, you know, I'll go screen for something new. So I went over there and did the uh, little selection process that they had, and there was a lot of civilians in the room, and it was kind of uh, it was something different. And
1: uh, Was that was that for the old, uh, what they originally called the SA program?
0: Right. So. Yes. Before it was like it had it changed names so many times at the beginning. A lot right, of it was right. just us because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. So <laughs> you, you named something <laughs> like, right. oh, wait, that, that there's already something in the Navy called you know support activity. We, we better not call it that anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, so it was like <laughs> you know, just typical team guys, right? Just kind of you fall right. on your face a whole bunch of times, before it
1: ringing it, right? Where yeah,
0: we yeah, always. So, anyway that program grew into a very professionalized system and um, it was really cool to see it at mock speed go from nothing into, you know, literally like now today there, it has its own group and it has its own mm-hmm. sub commands under it and everything. And, uh, which is really cool. But, uh, mm-hmm. but me being one of the early guys involved gave me a lot of slack. I mean, there was like zero leash, you know? And so, I got to be exposed to a lot of great training programs that, you know, the interagencies were running a lot of uh, our counterparts, the Brits. I got involved with them and their, their, their SRR guys, which is their special reconnaissance Mm -hmm. guys that were really the pros at this stuff. And Mm -hmm. so we learned a lot from them, but anyway, we built the program and started pushing guys through it. Uh, and And the whole intent was really to, you know, give, the SEAL community, something other than kill capture, you know, cause we really didn't have mm-hmm. anything else. And so, you know, Callan knew that we need to get ahead of this. We need to be able to collect information. So it,
1: in other words, when you said find, fix, and finish, this is teaching you to find and fix. Whereas the SEALs up until then were good at the finish part, <laughs> which is killing right. or capturing or taking on a hard target. Yes, down.
0: exactly. And, and in, in, in typical SEAL fashion, you know, we have to be the ones driving the boats. We have to be the one driving the car. So, of course, with this program, it was, hey, we have to be the one going out and collecting the information. So uh, we never we never think about manning when it comes to this shit. But uh, anyway, so now you're right. taking – we're taking combat veteran SEALs and uh, kind of really doing the operator to operative transition, which, which really – You know, in the in the long scheme of things became very successful, but at the beginning it was very difficult Mm -hmm. because as you know, it's a mindset. Uh you you can't just take any guy and say, All right, put the penny loafers on, the calculator watch, and you know, tuck your shirt in. Now you're gonna be, you know, something different. You know, a lot of guys wanted nothing to do with it. And frankly, there's a lot of guys that were very interested that just should have nothing to do with it because they just don't you know, you gotta shave (laughs) It's a fantasy, right? Yeah, you got to shave the beard, you got to look, you know, the part, and you've got to, you know,
1: got to blend in and not stand out. Yeah, you got to
0: basically have the ability to float around in different environments that have nothing to do with the theaters of war, and Mm -hmm. and you can't go around boasting your ego, pounding your chest. You've got to just basically be a nobody, and that's difficult Mm -hmm. for a lot of guys to do, even though they're interested in the job. So. Me having a foundation in it, I got to do a bunch of great deployments, being one of the first guys to, you know, put it all together, which gave me some experience in this stuff early on, uh, and it kind of picked up. Some of those successes, you know, I think were heavily exaggerated and then heard by others, and you know, it's kind of funny, but mm-hmm. you know, like guys like, "Man, I heard what you did in China." It's like, dude, I never been to China. What are you talking about? <laughs> 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 That's right. That's awesome. uh, yeah, okay, whatever. But I ended up, uh, yeah, so I ended up out at the NSA, um, which was, and in one in we what we learned early on is that hey, we've got to get ahead on this whole tech thing, right? So we, mm-hmm. we established relationships with the interagencies and the NSA and everybody who were
1: – Was that like a post or was that like a like you, you toured through there to establish your relationships and do some ops yeah. with them? Or was it like an assignment? Yeah, like yeah it, it was a yeah. – There was a billet, was a billet there.
0: Billet. We put it called. there. We put a billet okay. out there. It was the first time ever. Um, Interesting. First, we had to do – we had to put a debt – in Washington DC. So that was just really creating a, a UIC for a debt, um, that was funded by Warcom. Then that debt Mm -hmm. is what I was assigned to and then had to bill it through NSA. So we had to kind of finagle all this stuff. And as a enlisted guy working on that kind of stuff, you know, I was like, what am I, how did I get myself into this? Uh, (laughs) we set the path then we put i i I was put out there and uh and then that just opened up doors for all kinds of stuff right most people don't know the Mm -hmm. nsa is you know seven to ten times larger than the cia and it really is the powerhouse behind a lot of stuff and uh and it's and it's amazing uh, truly amazing what those what they pull off out there but it's very tech 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 driven and uh so, anyway, got a, I got a good education and all that kind of stuff, which made me attractive to the guys down in Virginia Beach. One day they came mm-hmm. up and were like, hey, we've heard about this. We've heard about that. We want you to come down and kind of do the same thing for us. And then, so before you know it, then I was, you know, deploying for them doing uh, the same kind of stuff, but at a, a more, you know, at the, everything they do is at a national level. So,
1: right. Were you standing up a, um, like a training cadre or an operational unit?
0: Yeah. yeah, It was a, I wore a lot of hats. When I originally showed up, it was a stand-up a program. And I was like, yeah, all right, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Then that program led Mm -hmm. to deployments. Um, And then the deployments led to just a whole lot of other stuff. And then I became a department head for all of the tech. So I had 40 guys working for me at one point that, you know, mm-hmm. that I ensured they knew what they were doing and then made sure they were doing things right. And
1: for the listeners, the, the tech is a individual who's supporting uh, the seals with their, with some sort of technological expertise or logistic. Right. right.
0: And these, yeah, these so. particular techs knew the clandestine covert tech technology. And so, right. but yeah, it was, it was really uh, a pretty cool experience. You know, I got, not only, not just the operational stuff, but like program management and money. And I mean, and and as everyone knows, or if they don't, when you go to like a national level command like that, like I said, at the beginning, there's no leash. You can truly become as much of an expert in something as you want. The sky's the limit and no one's going to regulate you. And so that was probably, you know, definitely part of the, the coolest experience you can have. So, um, and I, I'm always thankful for it. You know, there's a lot of drama, as you know, I put in the book, there's some drama, but that's team guys, team guys love drama. So I had my fair share of that, but <laughs> it's, uh, it
1: was, it was an
0: awesome, an awesome way to, to finish off the last half of the career, having the opportunity. And because it wasn't redacted, I can say that, you know, the stuff I'm saying out loud, um, <laughs> you know, having the opportunity to work against, you know, bin Laden's, you know, fleet of vessels, having the opportunity to work against Anwar al-Awlaki, who was once AAA, AAA. (laughs) so for people that don't know, once Bin Laden was taken off, you know, taken off the map, uh, Al-Awlaki became number one, and uh, he was also, the most controversial thing about him is he was an American citizen. San Diego. Yeah, San Diego, probably, you know, me, you, and a whole bunch of other team guys probably sat in the same restaurant with him several times. You know? Jeez. But he was the mo- he was the biggest influencer AQ had ever seen and to this day he still influences people even though he's dead because of his mm-hmm. his YouTube videos that radicalized several Americans here in the United States to go mm-hmm. and do bad things, Fort Hood being, you know, one of the more popular ones. All of your underwear bombers, your shoe bombers, your Boston bombers, he influenced all of those So having the opportunity to be involved in removing him off the planet was definitely cool.
1: Can you uh, uh, give us any unclassed details about the operation? That'd be uh, interesting. Um,
0: Yeah. I mean, it it was a group effort. I sure as hell don't take any full on credit for any of this type of stuff, by the way, but it was uh, years and years of information, intelligence gathering, uh, you know, you're, I mean, you're talking to lots of people involved from the interagencies, tier one commands, I mean, you name it to track him down. And, and what's interesting about these guys is they've become really intelligent and smart with their tactics. You know, they know, like, yeah, right. get rid of the cell phones. They know, like, don't do this, don't do that. They know they can't even trust their inner circle, you know. And so he mm-hmm. was the re- what made him successful at eluding us was that he would feed disinformation to his inner circle like all the time. So that kept him huh. Yeah. That, and so he knew that he couldn't trust him, so we fed him a bunch of false information that knew that would get back to us and then we then we'd you know, it'd be inaccurate and we'd, you know, hit dry targets, dry holes, all that good stuff, and he played
1: So how did we finally get close to him? I mean what was well, the
0: breakthrough? How do I put this? So here's an interesting connection to SEALs and our being uh, involved in these things. It's a really small world. So most people probably haven't heard of a guy named Brian Hoke, but Brian was a SEAL Team Mm -hmm. 3 guy, officer, great guy. Mm -hmm. Um, He got out, went to the agency, and he worked his way up uh, through ground branch on the on that you know special activity side of the house. Uh mm-hmm. he started seeing a lot of what jsoc was doing and that wait a minute we need to get inside the embassies because even them they're attached to the agency but they had a hard time getting operations because they weren't intimately close to um chiefs of station overseas. So anyway, mm-hmm. they had a great idea. Brian was like, you know, I'm going to go be uh, an assistant or a deputy at an embassy. And so he started right. rotating people in the embassy. So he ended up in Denmark. And there's a book out there called Agent Storm. And uh, Brian actually recruited Agent Storm, who had access to Anwar Alaki. He provided AAA hookers and vehicles. <laughs> 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 and so, so it was a great recruitment on Brian's part. Here's a seal team three guy. Right. And then one day I'm cruising overseas and we end up like going to the same meeting together. We hadn't seen each other in I don't know how long. And I'm like, Hey, what are you doing here? And he's like, no, what are you doing here? (laughs) He was like, (laughs) kind of, you know, he was in the hierarchy of things. I'm like, Oh, well, I'm just here to do some tech work. What are you here? And he's like, well, I'm the guy that probably requested your tech work. And so it was, uh, it was pretty cool. And, um, so because of that guy, that's what probably led to the demise of Anwar Al-Awlaki because then we, uh, allowed certain access to a lot of, he yeah, gave us access to a lot of his infrastructure, which I know that's boring and probably doesn't really sound sexy because he got a, You know?
1: Yeah. There's no shoot. Well,
0: just to put it, you know, the way it ends is he ends up with, you know, a hellfire rocket through his front windshield. All right. That's, that's how. A
1: lot there you of, go. Okay. Now, I've, now yeah, I feel satisfied.
0: <laughs>
1: <True>. <laughs> so, um, you teach now like uh, risk management to corporations and executives and, and, you know, this is becoming more and more important, you know, for everybody. You know, so it's, it's not just the billionaire or the Fortune 500 who kind of needs to have that situational awareness. What are some of the, you know, like the top of mind things that the listeners, you know, should think about when it comes to, you know, self-defense, self-reliance, um, you know, having a personal protocol for situational awareness to avoid those kind of threats.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, what I preach mostly is, you know, really it, it's common sense. Unfortunately, there is no secret sauce other than if you know that your brain is not a computer and it cannot aggregate all the information in an environment. Uh, that means that you've got to have a certain foundation of knowledge so that now you can tell your brain what to look for. So, I tell people all the time, to observe everything, you will not notice anything, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So you have to be familiar with the threats in your environment. And we all live in a bubble. You know, we go to work, we go to our favorite coffee shops, our gyms, and then we go home. And so that little bubble, it should be very easy for you to identify that at those places, that you hang out. Okay, what are the threats? You have to ask yourself, what what could potentially happen at the coffee shop? What could potentially happen at my place of work? And then you've got the routes right. in between. Okay, I'm driving down the road. What are what are some of the things that could affect me right now when I'm driving down this road? Mm-hmm. And so you should be able to gather all the answers to those questions inside yeah.
1: your level. Right. Because the, the typical person's patterns, there's like four or five if that places that they go to pretty much right. every day while they're in their routine. Exactly. So, you got work, you got home, you got the CrossFit gym or, you know, your yoga studio, you got the, the shopping mall, Just pick up the kids at the school. There's right. your five.
0: That's it. And so we call that our pattern of life. And so once you identify what your pattern of life is, the places and the routes now, it's very easy mm-hmm. to start streamlining what you're supposed to be paying attention to right? You're the process Mm -hmm. of elimination. Now, do I live in an area where there's gang violence? Yes or no? Do I live in an area where there's potential earthquakes? Yes or no? And once you do Mm -hmm. that, now all of a sudden you've got all your protocols figured out. And the idea is, is you want to, what if, and do these scenarios in your mind. Okay. If this happens, I'm going to do these three things in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're always doing that, you're already you'll have you're making decisions and the idea is is hey let's make decisions right now while we're in a clinical setting right we have plenty of time mm-hmm. and zero stressors okay cuz the last thing you want to do is make decisions when you have zero time and nothing but stressors right and so mm-hmm. you make all those decisions now that way when something bad happens you're going to act them out without making decisions because you've already made those decisions a hundred times before. So now all you got to do is Mm -hmm. act out those decisions. And that reaction time is what saves your life. At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. when it comes to awareness, your job is to get time on your side and time can be an adversary or it can be an ally. So the goal Mm -hmm. is to make time your ally through the proper like mental calibration and and sensitizing to the potential wrongs you could face at any given moment. And it sounds sounds like, oh yeah, that's paranoia or that's, you know, that's prepper shit. And it's like, no, it's really not because it takes a couple of seconds when you sit down at Starbucks and go, okay, if someone comes through that door right there with a chainsaw, a knife, a gun, whatever it is, what am I going to do? And you go, huh? Well, there's always an exit through the kitchen. Most people don't know about, I'm going to do that. Or the biggest Mm -hmm. thing is, what am I not going to do? I'm not going to go to the bathroom because that's a dead end and I can't barricade the door because there's nothing in there to move in front of the door. Right. So, you know, so through a process of elimination, a little bit of knowledge on bad guy tactics and then knowing what tactics you're going to use, boom, before you know it, you've calibrated your mind, it's ready. And your reaction time ends up being a lot less, which is what saves your life. Yeah. Right,
1: right. Yeah, basic contingency planning, and then you mentalize it or visualize it, and then you've got some, you know, some some structure for if something does go bad. Yeah, you know, or, that's, or something that's exactly goes, goes right. Wrong.
0: It's conditioning, you know. And most people either just stare yeah. at their phone or, you know, but it literally takes seconds. You get in your car. What do you do? I mean, I, I always compare it to the seatbelt. These days, we put on and we take off a seatbelt dozens of times a day and we don't even remember doing it anymore. That's how you need to get safety and security is make it automated, make it so that you're automatically doing these things and you'll be a lot safer uh, for doing so.
1: Yeah. If you're unwilling to carry, uh, get a a concealed carry and carry a gun around, what's the best or what tools should you have in your car to deal with any kind of A kinetic threat or even just crisis?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a a good question. A lot of times, you know, for females, we always think mace, right? Um, I like Mm -hmm. to bump it up a notch. Go get bear spray instead. It shoots 30 feet and it's far more potent, okay? So bear spray is a good Mm -hmm. one for females, single females that live alone. I always tell them, hey, put a size 12 pair of cowboy boots out in front of your front door. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, any sexual predator that shows up at night and sees a size 12 cowboy boots sitting outside the front door is probably going to make them go to the next door, <laughs> But um, you know, and, and then more, more carry type items, everyday carry that's become really popular. You know, your steel barrel pen, your aluminum barrel pen, are pens, you can buy it anywhere. And, you know, you can stab somebody in the face with these things. They're a great penetration tool. You know, if, you, if you're traveling abroad and you can't carry anything that looks a little too offensive, you know, I always tell people a roll of quarters along with a sock. You carry them separate. They're nothing. But as soon as you put them together, they are a, you know, a sap, right? Yeah, the average, wow. the average fist flies at about 25 miles per hour. As soon as you add any kind of flexible weapon to your hand, now you you've bumped mm-hmm. it up to about 50 miles per hour, right? So it can be mm-hmm. very devastating. If you take that roll of quarters, drop it into a sock, and hit somebody in the face with it, you're going to break bones. You're going to knock them out without a doubt. Right? But uh, there's a huh. lot of there's a lot of things you can improvise in your environment to uh, to you know defend yourself without a doubt. And I tell people a good defense is really only one second because of the rest of the time you're on the offense, and uh, right. you, know, you have to be far more violent. Than your adversaries these days, in order to win, in order to survive, mm-hmm. you know. So,
1: yeah, that's the that's the old wolf sheepdog kind of mindset, right? The sheepdog is prone to violence, is capable of violence, but is a protector, right. right? And so, I I think you're right. People have to become their own sheepdogs, right? Both to protect themselves and their family, and to be useful in a crisis as opposed to being useless, you know, and
0: fight yeah. or flight.
1: And you can train. And
0: with the number of active shooters, you definitely got to start, you know, taking the, you know, being more offensive in thought and your mannerisms and, you know, what you're going to do in those situations.
1: What about home defense? You mentioned something about don't go to the bathroom, barricade yourself. You you, you have this thing called the four D's of home defense. What are those?
0: Yeah. um, It comes from the corporate security world, which is, you know, you're creating layers around your home. Number one is you want to deter people away from it altogether. And so
1: mm-hmm. that's, the cowboy, that's boots. the cowboy
0: boots. But that for me, that's even a little too close, right? It's, ideally right, it's illumination. Right. You want to light that thing up at night. Um, there is a general philosophy that bad guys that come during the day, want your stuff, bad guys that come at night, want you, right? Mm. They come during the day to get your stuff because everybody's at work. The ones that come at night, knowing right. someone's home, that's that's a lot more different. That's a, that's a different kind of person. That's a different kind of bad guy. So, but for them, light it up like a Christmas tree. Um, make sure your it's your house is illuminated. Number one, I can tell you from experience, being a guy who was sneaking around, you know, bad guys' homes. If that thing was lit up, it, I felt naked standing outside of it. You know what I mean? So that's right. what you want to do to bad guys, make them feel naked, make it easy for your neighbors to see someone sneaking around, sneaking around your property. Cause you, the whole idea is to get your neighbors to call 911 for you, because you're not going to see them sneaking around your property. You're lighting up your right. property so that third parties can do that for you. And then as you move mm-hmm. in, so that's deter, right? As you move in, now you're getting into more of that delay piece, Right. So how do we delay them? You know, that's that could be the cowboy boots where it delays them for a second, makes them think, and then they move on somewhere else. Turns into a deterrent.
1: And most uh, alarm systems, right? Now you've got you
0: know, that okay. uh, alarm. The, the ADT sign, stickers on all your windows, all of that stuff is detour and and, and deny and delay. Mm-hmm. So, and then you get to the door itself, right? And doors and windows. I always tell people there's a 3M product out there that was initially designed for uh, hurricane uh, home in Florida, so mm-hmm. the windows don't break. You can put that 3M product on your windows, and you can't even throw a cinder a cinder block through it, right? It', it awesome. That It'll too. stop like a a log going 100 miles per hour from going through your window. And it's- <laughs>
1: Maybe Elon Musk should have used it for his cyber truck. <laughs> yeah, actually. he
0: should have. Or, he sh- I mean, you and I both know this. He should have had a backup. He should have known that even if it's bulletproof, yeah. it's still going to shatter. I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. It's displacing right. energy through the glass. And it, the biggest thing right. he could have done is open up the door and go, see, it didn't go through, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Everyone's safe.
0: <laughs> And then he, oh, well. he covered up a week later with saying, yeah, we, we hit the door with a sledgehammer and that softened the glass. I was like, dude, that's a dumb excuse. But yeah. um, <laughs> homie, the, the, your doors and your windows, right? 3M product, it's a film. You put it on there, it's great. And, and then, heck, now they've got films that stop bullets. I mean, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so now you, you get to the doors. My two people all the time, they want to focus on these cool locks. And doors aren't about locks. I mean, I remember going to, you know, when I had to, you know, the breaking and entering side overseas, you could see an entire the, the colonization of a certain area. There would be an Italian lock, a British standard lock, and then a Yale five pin tumbler lock, right? <laughs> so colonization on a door. And so I tell people at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The lock doesn't matter. There's other ways of getting past those. So you want to concentrate on your door frames, the doors, and the door hinges, right? So most of your mm-hmm. homes commercially built these days in large developments or apartment complexes, they're using a half inch little screw to hold the strike plate in place. They're mm-hmm. using a half inch screw to hold all of your locking mechanisms in the door. Then they're using one inch screws on all the hinges. So I tell people all the time, mm-hmm. go replace all of your screws with three and a half inch wood screws, that's going to allow you to reach all the way through the door and actually anchor things to the studs. Right. Now nice. when somebody kicks that door, if, if they kick your door today, they're going to kick it open in like one or two kicks. If they, if you change all your screws out now you're, you're bumping it up to like eight to 10 kicks to get through that door, because that door frame. Hmm. And then you add, uh, three and a half inch wood screws to the locking side of the door frame as well. About one foot apart, up up the door from the from the strike plate. You know, up the door frame and then down the mm-hmm. door frame. Right. Um. And now you've got a door that it's very difficult to kick because that's what bad guys going to do. They're going to kick the door open.
1: Well, even the, like you said, the door itself has it's got to be a solid kind of like mahogany door because a lot of these doors these days are not as. Solid as they used to be. The
0: right, the door. You know, the the, the, the cheap aluminum ones are great because that, you know, that's aluminum, right? And they're lightweight. Mm-hmm. They look like wood, but they're not, right? There's mm-hmm. and then there's some composite doors that are pretty, pretty darn sturdy. So you don't have to go spend an arm and a leg. Mm-hmm. And then of course, then you've got technology, right? That gets into denial, which leads to the other D, which is detain, right? Let's mm-hmm. say they get in, they take all your stuff, but you want to get them caught. That that boils down to you know. All of the technology that is super cheap and readily available these days. So whether or,
1: or it's, a Great Dane,
0: you are a dog, right? <laughs> <Who's And trained. laughs> you bring up a great point. Bad guys don't like things that are unpredictable, so they tend right. to stay away from places, pe- homes with dogs and kids, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. even if you don't have kids, go ahead and lean a skateboard up against that, just on the other side of the cowboy boots, and you'll be good to go. You got kids, you got the you got the big bad dude that lives there. It's going to keep your bad guys away. So,
1: yeah, it's interesting what, what's kind of going through my mind. And, and this is important going back to the kind of the wolf um, idea. I don't, people don't really understand that, 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 you know, criminals are smart, right? And a lot of them are pussies too. They don't want to get hurt, they don't want this to be any harder than it needs to be. You know what I mean?
0: Right. They're
1: looking for an easy hit. And so the harder, you know, the more obstacles you put up in front of it that are going to scare them or make them think that they might get hurt or even killed, you know, they're just going to move on.
0: Well, yeah. And even more so, they they just don't want to get caught, you know. Right. They don't want to get caught. And so they're going to go the path of least resistance and they're going to take the cheapest, most effective way in order to get what they want. And if you just make it a little difficult, they'll move on to somewhere else. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah that's interesting so
0: hurry into ram power days and experience the raw power of the ram 3500 with available best in class torque and towing among 350 3500 pickups when properly equipped strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the ram trx with the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built or the ram 1500 awarded number one in driver appeal among light duty pickups by jd power three years in a row hurry into ram power days going on now for JD Power 2022 US Award information, visit jdpower.com/awards.
1: We got a, We've been going for a while here. I like to break this into two podcasts, which would be pretty cool. Um, but I would like to hit up kind of like, what's your uh, training like right now, and you know, what kind of routine do you have that keeps you fit and focused, and uh, you know, on your a game?
0: Yeah, it's been. I got to say, you know, you go, you get out, and I've had my moments where I go up and down with with my yeah
1: i i saw that you you know it's in the book but you know so i can say this but you dealt with your issue of you know like a lot of team guys you you, you make it 18 years and you realize holy shit you know i put some serious stress in this body and this brain and so you had to go through your own recovery process right uh, healing yeah. from all the tra- trauma and tbi and stuff
0: Right, so that you know, NICO and all the things that the that's been set up on uh, the military is set up that mm-hmm. some guys get the, get the opportunity to go through, certainly helped. But um, mm-hmm. my physical regiment, you know, um, it I try to keep it as regular as possible. But as you know, you get on the road and you're busy in business right. and business, money and this and that, and whatever. Yeah, I do let things get in the way, um, mm-hmm. but. When I'm home and it's regular, it's, it's, it's boxing in the morning. I mean, early, like I'm down mm-hmm. there at five thirty and already warmed up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. So I get, and then I get my day started and then I have uh, my workout in the afternoon. So, and that's more, you know, I keep it super simple. Um, I talk about the book and I've, you've seen videos all over the internet, the violent nomad workout, which is, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, a push exercise, a pull A rotation. My rotation exercises usually involve some kind of strike, striking, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then a run and you do five rounds and then that's it. And usually it sucks every time. It doesn't matter how many times I do it. It always, I always (laughs) feel like I got to throw up at the end. So, um, You know, so a push exercise is, you know, it could be anything you make it. It could be a push up. It could be a bench press, you know, any, it could be a military press. Anytime you're pushing, you and I both know this a push exercise, um, a pull exercise. It could be a pull up. It could be, you know, any kind of machine that, you know, where it's a cable pull, it could be, uh, you know, it could be a deadlift. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's whatever consists of a pull for you or whatever you want to do that day. Rotation. Um, it could be, you know, hooks, you know, you know, when I'm talking about boxing, um, mm-hmm. or, your, or any kind of strikes on a heavy bag, whether it's on the ground or hanging. Um, would you do
1: any loaded rotation like kettlebell or anything like that?
0: Yeah, um, I'm a big or, kettlebell fan without a yeah, doubt pavel and you know he used to come to the command and yeah. trained with him a lot and uh so i i lo- i respect the kettlebell there's a lot of push pull rotate you can do with those yep. but anything goes but as long as you pick the one you're going to do and the beauty of it is, is you can do push pull rotate sprint every day
1: yeah yeah
0: because you're changing wherever
1: you go there there's your workout right yeah <laughs> that with, all the time with our kind of seal fit methodology don't get don't get uh, seduced by this idea that you have to have equipment with you to do, to train hard.
0: Right. right? So the human body
1: definitely. provides a shit ton of equipment and so does the environment.
0: Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I'm, in, when you're in hotel rooms, you've got, you know, the office chair to, you know, I, 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 like TRXs. I think those things are yeah. great too, you know? So, but yeah, my, I try to do two a days cause I feel like if I do anything less it 46 years old, I'm going to turn into a big piece of shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that. I, I train twice a day, but yeah. one of them is my martial arts or yoga where I do a keto now and then yoga and then, uh, then a functional fitness workout. Yeah, and then I'll you try, you know, also do, you know, some, some sort of mental training. Uh, if I can't get in the morning, I'll get it in, you know, the midday. So that would be like the, the breathing and visualization and meditation exercises. Do you, do you have anything like that? Do you work with those tools?
0: I would say the closest I come to that is if I go do any kind of yoga just for my Mm -hmm. joints, mobility, you know, Mm -hmm. all that good stuff, that's where I get it. Mm
1: -hmm. When we
0: went through NIOC, which is a TBI, PTSD, 30 day immersion uh, at Walter Mm -hmm. Reed. They did a great job subjecting us and giving us the opportunity to try different stuff and what works for us. So we did everything from banging on bongos. Imagine a bunch of (laughs) guys with with drums between their legs and you've got this, you know, (laughs) this this hippie instructor sitting in the middle, you know, going, okay, guys, now just get to the same rhythm together. And we're all looking at each other like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Um, But it works, right? Once you get going, you get into that rhythm. It, 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 it does calm you down and brings you down a couple of notches. We did um, we did art therapy uh, where you're painting and you're doing all kinds of other, you know, stuff. And once again, a, a room full of special operators and you're, you know, painting together. You know, so you, anyway, you find, what they do is they give you the opportunity to find what works best for you. And for me, I, I end up, I'm a very simple kind of guy. So I ended up vectoring more towards all of the different breathing drills, right? So now I can do those, you know, the simplest one is slowing it down, right? 10 seconds Mm -hmm. in and 10 seconds out, especially Mm -hmm. if you feel any kind of anxiety, it does wonders. So that's probably the closest I get to more of that mental side these days.
1: Yeah, well, I think that. What you just described—that slow tactical breathing—I mean, that is mental training. Not only is it doing the arousal control and calming you down, but you know, there's a real, you know, aspect of developing a concentrated mind that comes with that. Because you're, you you have to like take control of the breath. That's why they call it breath control. That means you're focusing on that one thing. You're not, and so your mind is just like really kind of getting clear and concentrated, as well as de-stressed. It's yeah. a powerful practice. Yeah,
0: yeah, it does work. And, I, you That's know, it. just like any other team guy, you show up laughing at this shit going, what the fuck am I doing this for? But then all <laughs> of a sudden, you're like, oh, hey, that actually kind of worked, you know? And
1: uh, Ironically, I, I never laughed at it because when I, uh, when I started my martial arts training in uh, 21, I think I was right out of college, my instructor was a grandmaster who was a Zen master. And I always like to laugh and say he was a Zen master masquerading as a karate instructor. <laughs> and so he taught us all the breathing techniques and he taught me how to meditate. And so I, I did that for four years. I got, literally got my black belt, like literally the day or two before I got on the bus to Officer Cannon School. So I was all kind of hot and heavy into that. I even showed up at Officer Cannon School with my, my big stick, you know, the bow. Yeah. And I got off the bus and I had this top hat look at me. He goes, man, he goes, that is awesome. That's going to come in so handy right here at Ulster County School. And he goes, in fact, I know where you can store that stick. That. <laughs> I'm sure Got the perfect locker for it. Yeah, yeah. Turn around behind you and look. <laughs> <laughs> it's the last time I ever saw that stick. That's funny. But when I went to Bud's, I was, you know, it was so fresh in my mind that I just started using those tools. And it had a huge effect on my performance. Wow. So I, yeah. I just tr- trusted them, right, you know, from day one.
0: All the martial arts I did when I was a kid, you know, they, every martial art has all the breathing and meditation. and I just didn't take it seriously, you know. I just was like, eh, I just want to get through this part and like learn how to right. break a board, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Clint. Well, we could probably chat forever, uh, but you um, should call it a day here. Super appreciate your time and um, good luck with all your, your crazy endeavors. No, hey. I appreciate and the book, you know, this there. book just came out, right? The right kind of crazy?
0: It did. Yeah, just came out. We're waiting we're waiting for all the impeachment stuff to <laughs> go to the waste <laughs> so that we can get some bandwidth on the on the news. So right. We, yeah, it's
1: By the way, I was literally in hysterics um reading all of your little footnotes to the redactions. Like there's <laughs> a shit ton of redactions and I can imagine like the things that they redacted were probably ridiculous and oh, nonsensical.
0: Yeah. yeah, another layer uh, of humor there. <laughs> yeah, no doubt.
1: Yeah, so the book, everyone, is The Right Kind of Crazy, Uh, Clint Emerson. Check it out. It's it's a great read. Learn lots about spec ops and um, secret squirrel stuff, but also just a great story, Clint's life. And as you've heard from this podcast, his um, his style is very matter matter of fact and and fun. So good job with that, Clint. I'm sure there'll be more to come. Your other book, 100 Deadly Skills, and then you've got the survival edition of that, right?
0: Right, Um, yeah
1: great tools just to have kind of handy. You know, you never know when you, you're going to need a deadly skill.
0: That's right. That's it. Be ready. Be prepared. <laughs> be ready.
1: Better be prepared. And that's yeah. the scouts model, right? That's it. Prepared. All right, Clint. Well, thanks again. And who uh, ya.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Take care.
1: That's a pleasure. All right, folks. That's uh, that's a wrap. Unbilled Mind podcast. Uh, thanks again for, um, for your support and for paying attention and for caring that, um, you know, we've got to become sheepdog strong. And uh, be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Hoo yah. Divine out.
0: Lock it low, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back. The pride of the fleets. The bright swinging frog men of the UDT. Oh, oh, oh.